Well, let's pray, okay, and we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to study your word. We draw near to you in a special way now as we study this biblical passage before us, and we pray that you'll enrich our lives from what we're about to study and make a part of ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in chapter 3 of Exodus. And we're probably not going to get, we're probably going to look at verses 1 through 6 tonight because, well, Exodus is just a rich, they're all rich. Who can say that one is richer than the other? But let's, let's look at it uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, we know that um, 40 years have passed since uh, Moses fled from Egypt. So he's 80 years old. First two words, Moses was. Now that's, uh, that's a factual declaration. This is important. I mean, it's all important. This is the truth of Moses. He's not been forgotten. God knows exactly where he is. God knows exactly what he's doing. Moses doesn't think about that that much. We're going to get that. We'll, we will get that. Uh, we will infer that as we go along in these first verses here. But those two words pass quickly through those 40 years since he fled from Egypt. So what's been happening? Well, okay. He's become obscure. Uh, he's, he's, he's alone. He's in a part of the world um, where he can be to himself. And nobody but the sheep would know where he is. So just in those two words, Moses was, we passed through 40 years of a rather mundane life that was not lost to God because God has a purpose for those 40 years. Moses doesn't realize that, but God has a purpose. He thought on his own power and based on his own background, he was going to be able to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. And it was too much of Moses. It was all Moses and none of Yahweh. And we know what a mess he came into. So now God puts him exactly where he needs to be and gives him a, an education in obscurity, in loneliness, uh, 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 an education in in an area of the world that he will that he has come to know very well that he's going to revisit in a little while yet to come. But he doesn't know that. God knows it. He doesn't know that. So Moses was pasturing. Now you remember when we first started this thing? We studied how the Egyptians abhorred. Shepherds. That was, that was a nasty, subhuman work for Egyptians. 
They didn't want to be around the animals. They didn't want to be around the people who tended the animals. Now here is the prince of Egypt has been a shepherd, something he had grown up to identify as subhuman. He's been doing this work for 40 years. It's not just that he's doing this work. He's doing the work tending to flocks that don't belong to him, working for another guy. Moses was pasturing the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Same, same guy as Ruel. It's just a, a play on the particular language that's being drawn from. And he led the flock behind the desert. Now that's a, that's a Middle Eastern way of saying he was facing in one direction and he turned around and went in the other direction. That's important to this whole story. God doesn't take any chances. God is not a gambler. It is or it is not. It's yes or it's no. Uh, it, is, it is done by the will of God or it is rejected by the will of God, but it is all of the will of God. I don't care what it is. He's leading a flock, and what it's saying here in the language is that he's going to turn around and go in the other direction. Okay, ran out of grass. Sees a tuft of grass over there on a hillside or whatever, and he needs, to, he needs the flock to follow him over to this place where there may be water out in this forsaken. No, no telling how far away he is from where he calls home. His job is to carry these flocks around and keep them fed, to keep them watered, because this is money. This is money to Jethro and to the household of Jethro. So Moses was pasturing, and he led the flock in the other direction. He turned, that's, that's what the language means. It means that he, was, he could have been headed east and he went west. He went back. He, he turned around. He's gone in the other direction. And he came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. Now, the, the, the mount Horeb is also Sinai. It's the same thing. He's going to come back to this mountain uh, not in the not too distant future. Uh, and it, it will be known as, as, as Sinai. Uh, and that's, a, that's an interesting play on words, and we'll, and we'll talk about that from the, from the Hebrew language in, in just a second. But on what seemed to be an ordinary day, a very mundane, usual day, well, I got to get up and walk in the other direction. We've run out of grass, and I don't see anything. I don't want to wear the, the flocks out. I see some grass, and you know, we're just going to turn around and go this way. So he would do what a shepherd does. He would make his yodel. He would make his little yell, and they would all perk up, and they would follow him wherever he went. So he's going in the other direction and just happens to come to the mountain of God. They all belong to God, but this particular mountain, Horeb, is also Sinai. Now keep that word Sinai in mind. Okay, 
The angel of Yahweh, I got to talk about that just a minute. I can't, I, we don't want to leave a stone unturned, do we? Sometimes there's a debate among preachers or whoever about whether or not the angel of Yahweh, which probably says the angel of the Lord or something like that, Malach is, is messenger. Um, Malach Yahweh. It says right here in the Hebrew, Malach Yahweh. It doesn't have the suffix or the prefix or anything that says of. So of is not there. It just says, if you just read it straight, it says messenger Yahweh. That's what it says. Usually it's translated the angel of the Lord. <laughs> but the definite article is not there. The prepositions, it's just, okay, this, this appears, we're going to determine who this is because we've already met this character once, but I probably didn't give enough attention to it, and we want to be right whenever we study something. That term, that phrase, Malach Yahweh, it appears, I think, uh, 67 times in the Old Testament. Exodus 3 and verse 2 is the only occurrence in Exodus, although we've already seen it back in Genesis, in Genesis 16 and in Genesis 22. May I shed some light from Hebrew grammar? And it, it, some of it ought to come back to you from ninth grade, 10th grade English, right? We all remember that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, the room, and the room fell silent. <laughs> Grammatically, Malachiaweh is a construct, some call it a bound form, and it is in the genitive in its construction. There's a rule of constructs in Hebrew grammar. Both of the elements are either definite or indefinite. Is it the Yahweh or is it a Yahweh? Okay, is it the angel, is it an angel? There's an important grammatical rule that applies here that helps us settle our minds on this Malach Yahweh every time that phrase, the angel of the Lord, is seen in your English translation. The proper noun is Yahweh. It is, it is obviously, it's intrinsically definite. It's definite. It's a name, proper noun. The noun that precedes it also has to be definite according to the construct, grammatical rule of constructs in Hebrew, okay? So if Yahweh is definite, then Malach has to be definite. So the phrase cannot mean an angel of Yahweh. It can only mean the angel of Yahweh or Yahweh messenger, Yahweh angel, angel Yahweh. It can only mean that. can't mean anything else. Okay, so can we get more definitive? Can it, can it mean something more precise even than, than this? 
Of the dozen or maybe a few more of the constructs that are recognized in Hebrew uh, grammar, the most likely type involved here is what is called an appositional construct or definitional construct or genitive of apposition or genitive of, of definition or genitive of association. You lost me two sentences ago, but go ahead. Well, I'll just start all over. No. <laughs> we don't want anybody to be lost here. Okay. <laughs> here is the point. The point is, you could call this Yahweh Messenger. Okay, now you think, well, no, wait a minute. He's, he's not an angel. He's not, what, what are we saying here? Because we know that Yahweh is omnipresent, but there is a thing called a theophany where God Almighty, who is boundless and infinite, and we cannot imagine the greatness of God Almighty. We, we don't have, we, don't, we, we weren't created. We're not God. We're not equal with God. Therefore, we cannot understand God except how he would explain himself and reveal himself. So there comes this time when in the Old Testament, God reveals himself in a form, presents himself in a form. Unlike, unlike the incarnate form of Jesus of Nazareth, that's, that's exclusive, that's special. But it's very similar in the sense that you have a form that by the power and will of God enters into the time-space continuum and it is God. And he has chosen to reveal himself in the arena where we exist. Three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. That is the case with Malach Yahweh. All right? So... When you talk about, is this speaking of just an angel, you're getting into what's called the ontological part of, of the language. Is Yahweh merely an angel, sometimes merely an angel, or is there a certain angel, a certain messenger, who on occasion takes the identity of Yahweh for certain purposes, or does Yahweh present himself in a way so that he personally is the messenger. Well, the last, the last statement is truth because of the grammar of the language. Now, now, now I, we could go on from there, but I, maybe I've made my point. Barbara, have I made my point? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> I said all that to say this. Moses is about to be in the presence of the Almighty. He, doesn't, he didn't get up that morning thinking of that, you know. He didn't have a vision. He didn't see a comet race across the sky and think, oh, there's a sign from God. Nothing, it's just an ordinary day. Just another day by himself with sheep out in the desert. And he just happened to run out of grass in this direction and he had to go in the other direction because he could see some in the distance. Now, messenger 
Yahweh becomes his own messenger and delivers his message personally. It's called a theophany for the Old Testament appearance of God. Appeared, Malach Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire. It's interesting that he just happened to turn around and head in the other direction, right? He had to leave where he was and start out somewhere else. Messenger Yahweh, Malach Yahweh, appeared to him in a flame of fire, which in itself, in the Hebrew mind, of course, is a it signifies the presence of Yahweh. A flame of fire from the midst, and the Hebrew word for this little thing, this plant, it's a, it's a small, thorny shrub. It's, it's rather insignificant itself. It's not really a big deal. It's just the kind of a thing that's... that's, that's, that's out there, and it's got thorns in it. And anybody that's, you know, we've all gone through the woods or whatever, some tall grass out in a pasture, and we've snagged on those things, and it just is just aggravating. Moses is very familiar with the humble, lowly shrub that he sees in the distance. But notice the language. A flame of fire is coming from the midst of it. So this is the glory of God in the midst of an otherwise insignificant shrub. It is the glory of God that makes the shrub significant. And behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not being consumed. So here he is. He just turned in the other direction, and he sees a fire in the distance. And he knows what he knows. It's one of those bushes, but those things usually flame up, and they, you know, they're so little and dry and insignificant. They're they're gone in about a minute and a half, two minutes, and then they're just smoking. This thing keeps burning. So this is very unusual. It was not consumed. Moses said, very important. Let me turn now and see this great sight. Why does the bush not burn up? Important phrase, verse 3. Moses said, let me turn now and see this great sight. All right, verse 4. Here's the language. This is how it goes. Yahweh saw that he had turned. Just at that moment, just then... Moses' mind and his attention were not on Midian. They were not, his mind and attention was not on the flocks. He had to turn away from all that and totally fix his attention on this shrub that was on fire that was not being consumed by the fire. So in the language, what we're being told is that just then, 
all of Moses' attention was on whatever that bush was and whatever was happening there. And, and he, he had no thought of anything else just at that moment. That's why the Bible says, what is that, verse 4? Yahweh saw that he had turned to see. So now, Moses has emptied himself of everything that he had been attentive to for 40 years and something new and different has caught his attention such that just at that time he turned from all of it just to see what was happening. So just then, Yahweh saw that he turned to see. Then, just then, at that time when he turned and he had no other thought except to examine that bush, just then, God called to him from within the bush. The rest of Exodus is meaningless if God does not personally call Moses. Any ministry, any service to the Lord, it's meaningless. It's nothing. That's why Moses failed so miserably 40 years earlier. He evidently, he thought that as the great prince of Egypt, he could just do whatever he wanted to do and, and you know, things would happen the way they were supposed to. He had to get completely emptied of himself, and God knew this. 40 years, that's a long time. He, he had to be completely empty of himself and completely emptied of Egypt and committed himself to a very simple pastoral way of life away from all the glitz and glamour that he had enjoyed in Egypt. And even that simple life of having the, the only thing on his job description was take them until they finish eating and then take them somewhere else. That, that was his job description, right? Well, for 40 years, he had certainly learned the lay of the land. He knew where the water holes were. He, he knew where, every, the, where the big rocks were, where the, where the passages were. Just then, though, everything is out of his mind, as away from his mind, except this, this burning bush, this shrub. Yahweh saw that he had turned to see, and just then God called to him. There was this brief vacuum of thoughts except for that bush, and God fills that vacuum of thoughts just then. And he said, Moses, Moses. So God knows him. He, an obscure guy away from Egypt, 40 years. Surely they had forgotten about him by then. God had never forgotten. God knew exactly where he was, called him by name. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So he acknowledges, he acknowledges the call that comes to him and ex expresses that he's understanding whatever it is that's coming from this, this bush. And so he, he, takes, he takes his stand there in the presence 
of, of whatever is happening. And he still, he still doesn't know what the deal is. There's a flame of fire that is in the midst of a shrub that is not being consumed. And a voice has come out from that shrub. He doesn't know still at that point that this is the presence of God, God bringing his own message to Moses. He still doesn't know this. And he was this, verse 5. And he said, Do not draw near here. Take your sandals off your feet, because the place upon which you stand is holy ground. For one of the first lessons that Moses has to learn is the holiness of God, the specialness of God. He's, he's not a statue. He's not an image. He is an essence. He is a presence that speaks personally to Moses, and he knows him. So he said, here I am. Then he said, you are on holy ground. It's not the bush that's holy. It is the presence of God. And to be in the presence of God, that's what's so special. That's what's so holy. So God gives him this first lesson. You're going to have to recognize the special place where you are. This is the Almighty. So he says, okay, I'm on holy ground. Now, it continues in verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now there are four very ordinary men who had their own flaws and faults. They, 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 they all failed at some point in time in some way. None of them were perfect. But what they had in common was the worship and the presence and the promise of God. That's what they all had in common. So God now identifies himself. I am the almighty God. As a matter of fact, I'm the God of four fairly important guys in your history, but... They were all very ordinary, and they all made mistakes. And I was their God, and I'm your God. So now God has Moses just where he wants him. Because here it says, And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look toward God. At this time, Moses, having been sovereignly and divinely introduced to the God, the God of his father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, at this time, he recognizes that he's unworthy to even be in the presence God makes him understand that. Take off your sandals. You're in the presence of the Almighty, and this is holy ground. Anytime you're in the presence of the Almighty, you are standing on holy ground. Moses then 
becomes afraid and acknowledges that he's not strong enough personally to be in the presence of God. That's If you're going to serve God, you have to be in this, God has to have you in this position of utter weakness where you just, I, this is just awful. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. You have to be there. This is where Mo, God brings him right to that point. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look toward God. This is exactly where Moses needs to be. He's emptied of himself. For that moment now, his mind is not on the median. It's not on median. It's not on the sheep. It's, it's not on anything other than the presence of God. And this is where God needed him to be. He needed him to be completely focused. God knew exactly when, where, and how to make this happen. These 40 years, at the age of 80 now, those years have been sufficient. His experiences have brought him to the place where he needed to be. And Moses is so emptied of himself that he doesn't see himself as anything special at all. Now, this first step being covered, now God can fill him up with his strength. Moses for 40 years has been getting emptied of himself anyway. And now in the presence of Almighty God has no sense of personal strength at all. We're going to see it. Not going to get to it tonight because it's too big of a section. But he's, he's not going to have any sense of qualification. Uh, he's not going to have any sense of desire to do what God wants him to do. But that's where God, that's where God needs him to be. Because as the events of Exodus will unfold, it becomes very clear, first of all, to Moses and then other people who get to know Moses, it becomes very clear that this is not the power of Moses that's causing these great things to happen. It's the power of God. And God has, is filling Moses with his purpose and his will and in a sense with himself in the sense that he's giving Moses this very special call and this very special strength. All right, we're done. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word and what it means to us. We just pray, oh God, that you would fill our hearts and our lives with the great desire to study your word and be obedient, especially in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen.